All right, please take your Bibles today and turn with me to the book of Colossians. You'll find that in the New Testament if you're not familiar with your Bibles yet. But in the book of Colossians, I'd like you to turn there with me. I have been preaching the past several weeks on the subject of bitterness. And this morning we will continue along that line. And again, this will be a second part of the area that I'm dealing with on concerning battling bitterness in the home, battling bitterness in the home. And I want you to look with me in the book of Colossians in chapter number three. You'll notice that we have here in the word of God, a specific verse that, um, that I must deal with and will deal with today. I have prayed much over this. I certainly wish with all of my heart to present a biblical balance uh, to this matter of bitterness in the home. And as I deal with this particular subject, let's read it and then I'll explain to you my, my struggle here. And verse number 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. As I have studied and meditated on this subject all week, I think about the various people in our congregation and probably those that are watching online that they're not a husband, and so they may wonder, how does this apply uh, to me? I will say that any time that any preacher preaches on any subject, if it's the truth, you have the opportunity to take that truth And to be able to help those in your life that are struggling with that particular truth if they're willing to listen to you. And maybe you can give them some instruction and some help if they maybe come up to you and say, I'm having trouble and I really don't know what's going on. And you say, you know what? I heard at church the other day that here's what the Lord said about that. And take that truth and help somebody with it. And so I hope and pray you understand that because last week we talked about mothers And wives, and this morning we're talking about fathers and husbands. And next week, Lord willing, we'll probably be dealing with uh, the children and how they get bitter at home. And so there's so many various things. But here's the thing about bitterness. Once it gets in a home, it affects everybody else in the home. If it's the woman that's bitter, it affects the husband and the children. And if it's the children that are bitter... It affects the parents and the grandparents. And if it's the husband that's bitter, it affects everyone else in the home. So this subject of bitterness, it kind of permeates. It defiles those around them, the Bible says. If there is a root of bitterness that gets into us, the Scripture says, it defiles many. And so we have to guard our hearts against this thing called bitterness. And be sure that... It doesn't originate in the home or that we don't take it from outside the home and bring it in to the home. And so here's what I want to tell you about about the Lord. I'm going to present a balance to this on husbands and wives concerning bitterness because it seems like when you deal with this that one wants to blame the other. This is not about the blame game this morning. It's about being the right kind of person that God expects you to be as a husband and as a wife. And some of you, maybe you have done your very best and your mate may have walked away from you. 
And there's nothing you can do about it, but you can help your sons and daughters and their lives. You know, I know of at least three families that were married, that the husband and wife were married for 40 years. And then they just walked away. One of them walked away from the other after 40 years of investing your life in someone else. And the reason why this is such a serious subject is because it's very difficult for men to communicate what is in their heart. I say difficult, they don't want to. Men have a very difficult time. When you watch some of these um, shows on TV and read some of these books, especially Hallmark movies that you feel are more Christian-like, Most guys are not like that. Touchy-feely, let me tell you what I'm thinking. Most of them are not like that. Most men are going to hold some of these things. And and, and not only that, but it's hard to get a man to even admit that he actually is struggling with bitterness in his own heart. And so the subject that I'm dealing with today is a very serious one. When he says here, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord in verse 18. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. God's will is for marriage to be a great thing. And for it to be something where that happiness can be found, Holiness can be found. Humility can be found inside of that home. But it's something you got to work at. It doesn't just come natural. I will say this about this particular subject that it's a common issue because it's a carnal issue. And if you do not walk in the Spirit, it would be very difficult for you to deal. And if you don't talk to God for grace and ask Him for grace, uh, you're going to struggle with it. And this area of bitterness. You know, I'd like to say this about men. Men usually are not open about this subject. I'm one, I understand this, I do. How difficult it is. I want you to pray with me for just a moment. Let me give you some symptoms. And please do not take one symptom, ladies, in your imagination and go home with it and say, my husband is struggling with bitterness because because. He may, he may have 10 other things on his mind, and this may be why he's acting this particular way, but I'm talking about over a period of time, there are things that you can sense and see that say, hey, there's an issue here. And fellas, I need you to be open this morning to the Word of God. My responsibility is to preach to you the whole counsel of God. I want to do it with honesty, humility. I want to do it with compassion and yet with courage. I pray you'd receive it. Father in heaven, I pray you'd use your servant today. Maybe you might even alter some homes today. Lord, you might be able to, I don't know, there may be some homes here on the verge of collapse, and I don't know anything about it, but you do. You know what goes on behind closed doors. You know what's in a man's heart. You know whether or not he's been looking out the window. Lord, you know. And I pray, God, that you would help me this morning to be a good pastor Help me, Lord Jesus, I pray, to be a a good shepherd, a faithful student of the Word of God. I pray you'd bless us as we study your scriptures together. And I pray that husband and wife 
would look at this as saying, Lord, this is what you said. This is what you think. And I pray you'd help them to receive the truth with a spirit of meekness. In Jesus' name, amen. Men usually are not open about this subject and usually can even be in denial and yet press on because of their commitment. to their. There are some men that are just committed. When they said, I do, they meant what they said, till death do them part. And uh, they may not enjoy their marriage. They may endure their marriage. But they're going to stay faithful because of their fear of God and their faithfulness to the Lord. But God has a whole lot more for us than just that. God does not want you just to endure your marriage. He wants you to enjoy your marriage. And it is very possible. And you're the one who can alter that if you humble yourself before the Lord. But here's some things about men. I'll say inwardly, fellas, if in your heart you regret the woman you're married to, if there is remorse in your heart of which no one knows about but you and God, and you feel in your life that you are trapped because you fear the Lord and you know you're supposed to stay married because you're a Christian and you want to honor the Lord, and yet you feel like you're caught in a trap, I'd say deep in your heart that there is developing a root of bitterness that you need to deal with uh, concerning your wife. And you must do this in order for this to work. Then I'll say outwardly. These things will manifest themselves. For example, a man usually who is bitter with his wife will begin to avoid being in public settings with her when he can. He will fill his extra time with other people and other things apart from you. His attitude towards you will change. It will become more sharp. And the sarcasm will be biting. It's not humorous. It's not funny anymore. His actions towards you will be out of duty, not out of desire. And laughter in the home and joy in the home will be rare. I don't think that you want these symptoms in your husband's heart and in his life. Would you turn with me to Esther, please, in chapter number 1. Now, ladies, I'm going to tell you what you can help to do to prevent this. And I know you can sit there in your heart and blame him for everything, but let's talk about you for a minute, and then we'll talk about him for a minute, okay? Let's talk about you for a moment, and then let's talk about him for a moment. Okay, turn with me to Esther chapter number 1. It would benefit you as a woman to understand the mind of God and God's will and how God has made a man and how a man uh, responds to certain things if he is a man. I realize there's some confusion today. Some fellows don't know what they are and some women don't know what they are. But God knows what you are. And God has instilled these things. If you hadn't been messed with, these things will be natural and normal in you. And so in Esther chapter 1, you have here how that God, God has made it very clear that the home is what is the foundation of a nation and what is the foundation of a church. And if we're going to have a good, strong church, we've got to have some good, strong families. And if we're going to have some good, strong families, we've got to have a man in his place and we've got to have a woman in her place. And those are two different places and they are distinct. 
A man is not to look like a woman, act like a woman, or lead like a woman. A woman is not to act like a man, look like a man, or try to lead like a man. God has made us unique for our purpose that we might glorify God and that we might, it'll be in the best interest of the family, in interest of the church, interest of the nation. As a matter of fact, God said in Isaiah that when the nation began to face the judgment of God, these things became blurred. And he said children become the oppressors of their parents and the women began to rule over the men. He said that is the sign of a weak nation and the judgment of God. Now when you get to Esther here, you'll find the reason why that you see that book named Esther and the reason why you see her up in a hero place here delivering her nation is because of what happens in chapter number 1 and what you get from that is is the common natural way that things should be in a home and in a nation and it gets turned upside down so the men change this and make sure it doesn't happen that it doesn't destroy their nation watch what happens here chapter 1 they're having a the king is having a banquet and he's got all kind of royalty there he asked the queen to come out at a certain time that others might observe her because she's a beautiful woman, but also because she's the queen. And so she refuses to come out. I don't know if they'd had a fight the night before. I have no idea of what her issues were. All I know is, is that their private issues became public issues. And when private issues become public issues... Usually the woman winds up humiliating the man in front of other people. And when a woman humiliates her husband in front of other people, I promise you, there's going to be a root of bitterness begin to develop into his heart. A man does not want to be embarrassed in front of others by his wife. You say, well... Brother Roger, you don't, listen, don't defend yourself about this. I'm telling you the natural course is do not humiliate your husband in front of your children or in front of other people if it is possible. If it is possible. Now sometimes he just brings it on himself and acts a fool. And he may blame you for it, but don't be the reason for it. All right, in chapter number one, the Bible says that she refused. Now, the public knows that he's sent for the queen. The queen says, I'm not coming. Well, man, all everything, the whole thing's a buzz. And he's embarrassed. He's angry. He's upset. She has humiliated him in front of other people. And so the men get together and say, look in verse number, number 15. It says, what shall we do unto the queen Vashti according to the law because she had not performed the commandment of the king? Well, the men understand what's going on here. Because, you know, you've heard the story about the, the young man where the, there was a big dam and there was a little bitty little leak in the dam and so he stuck his finger in the dike to keep the dam from, from falling apart. Do you know that's exactly what happens when you allow... Something wrong to begin with a little bit of a leak. It just begins to erode the foundation of everything else over a period of time. The power of water, when you get a leak in a dam, it starts eroding and eroding and eroding to before long, the whole dam collapses. These men recognize that if something is not done about this, that every woman in the province, every woman in the nation, is going to say, hey, if queen ain't got to do what, what her husband says, I don't have to do what you say. And there's going to be an uprising 
in the homes. And the homes are going to be turned upside down and the nation is going to become weak. They see this. God has set this up. This is the way it's supposed to be. And so you'll notice here that um, it says in verse number 16, uh, for Mucan answered before the king and the princes, Vashti the queen hath not done wrong to the king only, but also to all the princes and to all the people. All right? And you'll notice in verse 18, likewise, it says, Shall the ladies of Persia and Media say this day unto all the king's princes, which have heard of the deed of the queen, thus shall there arise too much contempt and wrath. And so... Notice that what he's saying is, is that, man, we've got, we're going to have a rebellion on our hands. All right, so you'll notice in verse number 20, there's a couple of words I need you to see, ladies. Again, we'll flip the coin here in just a moment to the men. But ladies, let me help you for just a moment on things that you can do to avoid provoking bitterness in your husband's heart. Don't embarrass him. Don't humiliate him in front of others. Look in verse 20. And when the king's decree which he shall make shall be published throughout all the empire, for it is great, all the wives, all the wives shall give to their husbands honor, both to great and small. Men are egotistical by nature. And they are driven. That's why you have at a football game, you have cheerleaders, and, uh, and, and, and if it's normal, they're not men. And there's something about a cheerleading that helps a team motivate them to do better. There's something about a woman when she cheers on her man that it motivates him to do better. But this word honor, over in the book of, in the book of Ephesians, it uses the word reverence. Reverence. People laugh about that today. They do. Huh, me? Reverence. Him? Can I encourage you by faith to please your heavenly Father? And do that which is pleasing in His sight? And to do it for Christ's sake? Now notice it says down here in verse number 22. For He sent letters unto all the king's provinces into the every province according to the writing thereof. Now just imagine if tomorrow you got your mail and you open it up and it was from... The United States government. And it says that every man should bear a rule in his own house. And that every wife should honor her husband. It is the law of the land. You think there'd be an uprising in the streets today? Why, the average preacher cannot even preach this. If I was in the average church in America, while there would be an uprising in that church. But yet this is the way the Lord has designed it. I'm just only trying to help you here. Now I'm not going to apologize for some things I need to say today, but I do need you to know my heart. My heart is to help you. And I trust God. I believe God. He don't have to explain things to me. He just needs to tell me what to do. And I just want to get in line with my part. To honor and to rule. All right. Now you're in the book of Esther for just a moment. Let me let me help you with a little bit more here. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs, if you would, please. 
Turn with me uh, Proverbs chapter number 30. Proverbs chapter number 30. I'm going to give you several things here real quick because I want to get to the other side of the coin. Ladies, your husbands can be provoked to bitterness. Do not embarrass him. Do not humiliate him in front of others. If you're having a conversation, if you're sitting at Saltgrass and having a dinner with another couple or two other couples, and there's a conversation taking place, do not belittle him and embarrass him in front of those couples. Do not cut him off in the middle of his sentences. Do not finish his sentences for him. Do not treat him like he is your son or a child. You say, well, Brother Roger, don't start that. You say, Brother Roger, he asked, don't do that. Do your part. If he's acting like a child, don't treat him like a child. Treat him like he's supposed to be treated until he grows up. All right, look in Proverbs chapter number 30. Notice in verse number 23, there's another thing that you need to understand that makes a man bitter toward his wife is when she is constantly clamorous and contentious and argumentative. Verse 23 says, For an odious woman, chapter 30, verse 21, he's talking about the things the earth cannot bear. Verse 23, For an odious woman when she is married. Now that's a hateful woman. By disposition, she's a hateful woman, contentious, argumentative. That's the absence of what God looks down from heaven and says, I love a woman who has a meek and a quiet spirit. He said, I consider her of great value and of great price. I love the woman. I appreciate the woman who has a meek and quiet and gentle spirit who in her mouth is the law of kindness. You say, Brother Roger, that's impossible. I agree without the Holy Ghost, I agree. But God can help you. But what I'm saying is, 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 is really, I was wondering why there's an odious woman to even get married if she can't stand a man. Or if she says, you know what, I'm going to get married, but ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Woe be unto that man. Woe be unto that man. And I don't know why you even got married. You know, sometimes uh, it seems like a, it's almost like someone says, you know what, I, I, you know, I, I don't like walking down the freeway, so I'm going to buy me a car. And I'm going to drive a car, but I'm not going to obey any of the laws. I'm going to drive it where I want to, when I want to. I'll stop when I want to. I'll go as fast as I want to. I'll go as I please. That's not going to go well. And you're going to cause a wreck. And the same thing is, is that when you think about getting married, is that there are certain things that work and there are certain things that don't work. And if you're a very contentious and clamorous woman, the Bible says, let me, get, let me show you how he described this. Look over in chapter 27 and verse number 15. He said, Brother Roger, you're giving it from a male perspective. I'm giving it from a biblical perspective. Okay? Proverbs 27 verse 15. And I'll agree with you, ladies, that I no doubt it's not easy to live with creatures like us. And that's why you need some grace and you need God to help you. Chapter 27, verse 15 says, A continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. 
What does that mean? That's a source of great irritation of the mind and spirit. Look at verse 16. Whosoever hideth her, hideth the wind, and the ointment of his right hand which bereath itself. You spill perfume on your hand and you walk into church and somebody says, what is that I smell? I don't know. It's not me. And what he's simply saying is, is that when people hang around you very long, it won't be long till that contentious spirit comes out and you say some things you ought not say in front of him, argumentative with him. I'm just saying that these are some things that provoke bitterness. Would you look in chapter 31 real quick? I need to move on here. Look in chapter 31 with me, please, and look in verse number 10. Psychologists and psychiatrists and marriage counselors today do not believe the principles of God's Word. Proverbs chapter 31, verse number 10. Notice what it says here. Here's something else that's critical. When you have a woman that is morally defective and deviant with her sexuality. In other words, she is a flirt. And her husband says, honey, please don't wear that out in public. Or honey, please take some of that makeup off before we go. Or honey, please don't don't talk and look at him like that. Do not underestimate what you are doing to your husband's heart. Notice what he says here, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband does safely trust in her. And verse 12 says, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. If your husband says, honey, don't put that on Facebook. Don't dress like, don't show yourself like that. He should never have to worry when you're around someone else. Should never. And fellas, if you've got a woman that you trust her and she is faithful to you, you need to thank God a thousand times a day for a good woman. And the scripture here says that when you have a woman that is morally defective, and a woman can send messages with her flirts, her eyes, her words, her ways. A woman knows. And a man knows. And not only that, but... The wife can pick up on that. And the husband can pick up on that. But the scripture here, this is some things that that make a man bitter in his heart. And then you'll notice something else here. In verse number 11, it says, So that he shall have no need of spoil. What does that mean? It means that you're content with what he provides And that at home, it's not a, what you might say, a monetary dark hole where money disappears all the time. No matter how much money he makes, no matter how many raises he gets, no matter how many things he purchases you, it is never enough. And you're always wanting more. And you help spend everything that comes in. I'm not talking about if you're on a tight budget and you're doing the best you can. Husband, you have no right to be bitter. You know, if you're giving her a a sonic budget and you want her to go shop at Kroger's for a family of six or seven or eight. But I'm saying that, ladies, 
that he doesn't have to have neither spoil. In other words, he's not having to always come up with extra money because you're always broke, because you're always buying something and spending something and shopping, and there's never any, not ever enough. He gets weary of that. Because, you know, he gets what you buy the house you want or buy the car you want to buy the clothes you want. And then after a little while, you're dissatisfied again. And you want more and more and more. And so, I'm just telling you, these things wear on a man over a period of time. And then you'll notice in chapter 31, verse number 27... The Bible says she looketh well to the ways of whose household? Whose? Hers. That means that she is not, uh, you might say, uh, a road warrior. She is someone who is focused on us and ours. She is not a drama queen. One thing that a man doesn't want to do is work hard all day or all week and come home to, to trouble that you've gotten yourself involved in because you've been putting your nose in somebody else's issues and somebody's problems, whether it be at church or whether it be with family, but you have not stayed focused on him and on yours. But at, uh, instead, it's on others. And so he has to come home. You're emotionally distraught. You're mad about something. You're upset about something because you've heard this. You've heard that. You've told this and you're told that. And over a period of time, he gets weary of a drama queen at home because you're not satisfied with just the responsibilities of taking care of your house and your children and your business. That's not exciting enough for you. You've got to get engaged with everybody else's business. And he, as a man, if he's a man, he's not interested in that. He's interested in his household and what's going on with his family. And he doesn't want to have to... He's got enough drama to deal with in his own household. He doesn't want to have to deal with somebody else's drama and their household. Not only that, you don't have all the facts either. That's why he says here... Are y'all listening? Okay. All right. Now, you'll notice something else here. That... um, It's not in this particular text, and I'm hesitant to say some of this in a mixed congregation. But the Bible says that when King Abimelech looked out his window one day, he saw Isaac and Rebekah sporting. And Isaac had told King Abimelech, because Rebekah was so pretty, when they got there, that some of the men said, man, who is this woman? He said, oh, that's my sister. wonder where he got that from. He got it from dad. Because he was afraid they might kill him to take her from him. So Rebecca didn't have a great husband either in that respect. And so one day Abimelech looked at them and said, that's not brother and sister behavior. According to 1 Timothy, a young man in the church is supposed to treat the other young ladies in the church as their sister. There's a purity about that. So he looked out there and sees them sporting. What is that? Well, they weren't playing 
football. If they were playing football, they were playing two-hand touch football. That's what they were playing. They were picking at each other. They were picking at each other like lovers do. And the book of Proverbs chapter 5 says that a man should be always ravished with the love for his wife. And so you cannot, after you're married and you said, I do, and then you get married and then you say, I don't or I won't. Do you understand? Well, I knew it would get quiet right along in here. But I'm just saying that there should be some things that a husband and wife, they're able to sport with each other, enjoy one another, and live joyfully one with another. And I'm saying here that this can make a man bitter. If he chased you for a couple of years to marry you, he shouldn't have to chase you for the rest of his years now that you are married. Hold on a minute. Amen, Brother Roger. These things can make a a man bitter. And I promise you there are too many loose women out there And you need to take care of business at home. And I know I'm speaking very plainly. But I promise you that I read an article this week that the average 11, 12-year-old knows far more than they ought to know today than than what we knew 18 years ago. But I do want the house of God to be plain spoken and I want it to be honest and sincere and transparent when it comes to these things. Let's flip the coin real quick. Let's go back to the book of Colossians, okay? And there's several other things that I could mention to you, uh, but I, for sake of time, I want to go back to Colossians 3, and I want to show something to the men. Colossians chapter number 3. The way I look at marriage, I try to look at it biblically. I'm not responsible for some of Cindy's choices, I'm responsible for mine. I'm responsible for my behavior. I pray for her response that it would be right and good and godly. But I cannot make her respond the way God wants her to. And we'll be married 45 years in a couple of weeks. And I will say that in those 45 years, she's been a wonderful wife. And I can honestly say that. But it doesn't mean that there weren't, hadn't been tense moments of fellowship. I can't tell you that there hadn't been a time of when I haven't had moments of bitterness or that she hasn't had moments of bitterness, but we've just not let it linger. We've just not let it take root. We've tried to fix it. I want you to look in Colossians with me, please, and look in chapter number 3. Look there with me, if you would, in verse number 19. Listen carefully now. Let's look at what God says. It says, husbands. Be not bitter against them. Is that what he said first? No. He said, husbands, love your wives. I think this is the biblical principle. I'll be honest with you, and I know that there's some limitations to this. 
I think that if we as men desire a better wife, God says, I need to be a better husband. Let me say that again in case y'all didn't hear that. I didn't heard but just one or two amens of that. If we desire a better wife, God says, I need to be a better husband. I honestly believe that usually over a period of time, a woman will respond to the way that she's being treated. I think a man has certain expectations, has the right to certain expectations to his wife, of his wife. But I know this, God's got expectations of me. Would you turn over to Ephesians chapter 5? Let's hit this right quick and go to the house. Can I give you three things that God expects out of you men concerning loving your wife? How does God want you to love your wife? Hmm? Did you know that a woman is to be taught by an older woman how to love her husband? And she should cover. Ladies, what I just covered is what you should cover in private with some of these younger ladies. What I teach from the pulpit should be the very same thing that you teach in private. You should never conflict with the Word of God. Never. Don't go with Hollywood. You go with the Holy Book. In Ephesians, in chapter 5, look at this. Look in verse number 25. This is interesting. He said, husbands, love your wives. That's a command. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Look in verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. That's an interesting statement. Verse 29 says, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth even as the Lord the church. Those are some interesting verses, aren't they? That we are to love our wives even as we love ourselves. And verse 33 says this, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. That always bothers me when I read that. What do you mean, Lord? When I say bother me, I say, Lord, look at that. Because he says, you know, the man that loves his wife loves himself. You know, we're, we try to teach everybody around here not to love yourself too much, but you do have to love yourself some. And what he's referring to is the very same principle that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. That you're to do that which is in the best interest of your neighbor. That if you see your neighbor with a need or you see a a neighbor with something that you can be a blessing, that you take the initiative. Here's the three principles of loving your wife like Jesus loved the church. Number one, you initiate the love. You say, well, my wife just don't love me. Then you ask yourself, do you love her? You are to initiate that love as Christ did the church. You see, when Jesus saw the church, it wasn't in too good a shape. 
And he nourished it and cherished it and helped change it. Did you know that a man can help change a woman's life? You say, yeah, and a woman can change a man's life? Yes. There are three things that every man needs. He needs a good woman. And he needs a good job. And he needs a good church. He needs those three things in his life to be consistently happy. A good woman, a good job, and a good church. And you don't want, fellas, to ever hesitate wanting to go to either one of those three. And dread having to go to either one of those three. But a man is to love his wife as himself, that he would look out for what is in his best interest. Her best interest. So, I will say that you're going to have to initiate this. You're going to have to initiate this. Because God initiated His love towards you. And while you were at a sinner, Christ died for you. He initiates His love toward us. Initiated. A woman cannot follow a parked car. You have to initiate this. Initiate this. Number two, you must illustrate this. Did God illustrate His love toward us? Has He demonstrated His love toward us? Yes. At the cross. In this was manifested the love of God. Talking about the cross of Calvary and gave Himself for it. So if you're going to choose a wife, the Bible says you found a good thing and found favor of the Lord. You say, well, I, I think I maybe if I'd have just married a different person. It, well, it's possible. That's possible. It's possible. But it's also possible that if you had another mate and you're doing the very same things that you're doing now, that you may have the same results. Focus on being that right person. Leave the results with God. You're not going to change your husband by nagging on him. And fellas, you're going to have to love that woman past her faults, her fears, her frustrations, her failures. You're going to have to love her as Christ loved the church and you're going to have to illustrate it by being concerned about her and her needs, being compassionate toward her and being complimentary of her and of being committed to her and to being courageous. A woman is attracted to courage. The Holy Ghost will give you that courage. It takes courage to say, no, honey, we're not doing that. No, honey, you're not talking to her about that. No, honey, you're not getting involved in that. No, honey, you're not wearing that. No, honey, we're not going there. Yes, honey, this is where we're going and this is what we're going to be doing. 
And it takes courage to do that. You say, well, Brother Roger, if I say, and I know it's God's will, and this is where I need to go, and I know it's God's will, and this is where I'm going, and she won't go. What am I supposed to do? Well, I'd, I'd take it to God in prayer. And then I would do the third thing. I would investigate. The Bible says you're to dwell with her according to knowledge. And you're to say, honey, okay, why? What am I doing? And remember, what a woman says, you've got to interpret sometimes what does that mean. How did she say what she said? What did that mean? And you're going to have to work at dwelling with her according to knowledge and find out, did you hurt her? Have you lost her confidence? Your perception is not always on target. And your wife, if she fears the Lord, she won't always complain and she won't always say what the issue is. And you're going to have to sit down with her and sometimes say, Honey, listen, we need to talk. There's something going on here and it ain't right. Why won't you follow me? Why won't you, why won't you do the will of God? And what's going on here? Instead of demanding an answer, why don't you investigate and say, Honey, what, what's going on here? You know that I love you. You know that we've got to work together here for the sake of the Lord and the sake of our children. What's going on here? You need to initiate this love and you need to illustrate this love. The Bible says that you are to answer every question that your wife has. I want to encourage you ladies not to ask a hundred questions a day. But the Bible says this. If any woman in this congregation has a question who's married or has a father, and she has a question of something she hears, who is she supposed to ask first? She is to ask her her husband. Where? At home. And in doing so, you are honoring his headship, his lordship. You are pleasing God by asking him at home, honey, let's, if you're a widow and you have maybe a situation where that you, your husband is not cooperating, you're coming to church and you have a question, we want to help you with that as much as possible. We do. We want to try to help you know what God's will is. But we do not want to usurp the authority of your husband. And neither should a woman usurp the authority of her husband. And I'm saying that ask him some questions and when he talks to you, respond. And fellas, if you love her and she's honest with you, his thing about men is that they know that women don't forget. And so sometimes, ladies, if your husband is completely transparent and honest with you about his feelings about something, he knows that you may hold that against him for the rest of his life. So he doesn't. If you cannot receive and forgive, it's going to be very difficult for you to be able to communicate. 
And you can, listen, there's no marriage that can't work itself out if you communicate with each other with some humility and honesty. You say, well, Brother Roger, my husband's not easy to talk to. He might, he might be a Nabal. It may be that nobody can talk to him. You'll have to turn him over to God. But we're talking about husbands being bitter toward their wives this morning. We're talking about fellas. Before you get bitter at her, make sure that you are being the best husband that you can be toward her. Am I preaching from the Bible? Is that what it says, do? That you're to love her as Christ loved the church? You are to... (coughs) How did Christ love the church? And I'm closing with this. How about Romans chapter number 8 at the end of that chapter? It says there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. No one, no trouble, no trial, no tribulation, no separation from this love. Cindy and I took on the attitude when we got married that it's me and you, honey, against the rest of the world. No in-laws or outlaws are going to invade our circle. No church members, no children, no grandchildren. This is our circle. It's me and you. We're one. Me and you against the world. And the Lord wants you to be one. To love each other. To initiate that. And 1 Corinthians 13 says that charity never faileth. Where you're long-suffering and forbearing with one another. You say, well, man, you just don't know how she is when I wake up in the morning. Well, it gives you a great chance to illustrate the fruit of the Spirit of being forbearing and long-suffering. Some women wake, wake up in the morning with cobwebs in their eyeballs and heads, and some are up chirpy like a bird. You, you, you're wanting to go stay in the bed a little bit longer. You have to work out your differences, and God gives grace for that. You say, well, I, I just think that, and listen, this is what kids are told. I remember, I even remember my, my, my mother saying this when I was a kid. You know, there's somewhere out there is your perfect soulmate. You just got to find that person. And so what happens is, is that people get married and they get disappointed. So I guess that's not my soulmate. I'll have to find another one. And so they bounce around, but that's not the issue. It's like I told you about Brother Ronnie Barefield. Him and his wife just separated 50 years, pastor up at Unity Baptist Church in Ripley, Mississippi. I've known them for over 40 years. And God's blessed their marriage, but they made their marriage work. But it takes two to make it work. I am not trying to put guilt on anybody this morning unless you're guilty. Husbands, the Bible says, now listen, you know what he said to me? He said, Roger, he said, do not be bitter against Cindy. That's not a suggestion. So no matter what's going on in her life, I am not to be bitter toward her. I am to love her. And love covers a multitude of faults, and love covers a multitude of sins.
You know, fellas, what we need in America is some real godly men who fear God and love God and who are not afraid to love their wives like Christ loved the church and who will lead their families unashamedly and not be ashamed to let people know, I love my wife. And I thank God for my wife. And for women who are not ashamed to say, yes, my husband is the head of our home. And I love him and I support him. He does consider my feelings. He does consider my input. He does care about my feelings. But I know God's chosen him to make the final decision on certain things. And I'm going to follow him, not kick him every time I disagree with him. I'm going to trust him. May God help our homes in our church. Let's stand together, please. I love you men. I love you dear ladies. And over the years, Brother Ed and I have sought to counsel you with godly counsel. The Bible says that God will destroy the house of the proud. When you humble yourself before the Lord, He'll give you grace to help in time of need. Some of you are struggling with your marriage. As a man, ask yourself, am I loving my wife the way Jesus loved the church? Ask yourself as ladies, am I an asset to my husband? Or am I a liability? Fellows, if you've got a good wife, please don't take her for granted. Please let her know that you appreciate the fact that she's put up with you all these years and loved you and followed you. I pray you'd be committed together to honor Christ, to honor God, to give your children a secure footing for the days that lie ahead for them. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, dear God, for these men and women. They would choose to fear you. May they sense your love for them. And Lord, may they sense my love for them. Lord, my heart's desires for their home and their marriage and their families to be a good place to go this afternoon. And if there would be some laughter there, some peace. And Lord, if it's absent, I pray they'd sit down, look each other in the eyeballs and say, hey, let's work this out for Christ's sake. Help those single men and single women, Lord, of no fault of their own, who are dealing with issues in their own life. Help them, I pray today, to give good counsel to other people that you've put in their life. We love you and we need you here at East River Baptist Church. In Jesus' name.